Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Synergy Conference held in Gahanna, Ohio at Pathway Church. For more information, please visit our website, ohioministry.net. Well, I'm going to go ahead and begin to make sure we are taking advantage of our time. Welcome to a class we've titled Confident Carefrontation to imply that there is, of course, a hand-in-hand relationship between having the confidence to confront some folks and also being compassionate and careful about it. And uh, by the turnout today, I just want to clarify, you all realize this is not a marriage counseling session. Just want to make sure there wasn't a misunderstanding. (laughs) Okay, well again, uh, I'm just having a blast today, meeting people from all over Ohio. I'd love to see faces that I recognize, but hundreds I don't. And uh, just so encouraging to know that a great team of people uh, is is doing what you're doing all over the state. Let's just get a real quick survey just so you can appreciate who you are seated beside today. If you are part of uh, just the pastor team, if you are referred to in your church as pastor something, uh, would you raise your hand? Okay, so we've got a good handful of pastors, associate pastors, all right? If you are part of the office staff, secretaries, other staff members, custodial, any type of paid or part-time or full-time employee by the church other than pastor, would you raise your hand? Okay, great. If you are the volunteer leader of a ministry in the church, nursery, kids, youth, adults, you're a volunteer of church leader. Anybody? Awesome. Okay, how about you're outside the church? You might be primarily on the campus doing some sort of missions, or maybe you're an overseas missionary. Would you raise your hand? Good. Okay. Probably left some, how about, how about your other? I didn't call you. All right, good. Because we love you, and we care about you. All right? How, oh, board members, that's right. Yeah, board members. There we go. Okay. Okay, the box lunch and the cushy chair. All right, these are my panelists right here. All right, got to introduce you to everybody so they understand. Terry and Warren. Okay. You guys remember the, the Muppet Show? There's two guys who sat on the side, right? All right. <laughs> Has nothing to do with you. I just, just came me, so... All right. Well, we're here to talk about confronting. All right. Boy, that brings up a lot of emotions. Confronting is not uh, a popular thing to do. Not a fun thing to do. There are a few people who are wired that way. Okay, I'll confront somebody. Tell me. Most of us, however, it's not our favorite thing to do. And uh, in this society in which we live, it's not just the church, but now even more so in the society in which we live, if you care enough to express uh, not just an opinion, but you, you draw the line and say, this is right and this is wrong, uh, you are automatically now a hater. So say hello to all the haters in the room, right? So labels that go out. Um, and so, so the world is wired to put extra pressure on people who choose to confront. And of course, there are all kinds of abuses of con- con- confronting people. Uh, I'm sure all of us in this room have been on both sides. We have been the ungrateful recipient of somebody who went overboard and maybe wasn't as tactful as they could have been in confronting us. And there may or may not have been truth to what they said, but all we can remember now is just the embarrassing, humiliating, awkward, painful way they communicated that message to us. Ouch. And then we've all been on the other side as well of being the person who dished that out. And we don't like that either. Yeah, I probably went overboard. Yeah, I was a father. I was cranky and I probably should have said something differently, you know. We have two boys and two girls. And the boys are in college. And now the girls are uh, center stage, high school, junior high. And uh, that's, of course, a learning curve, right? With the boys, pretty much, you throw food and a new pair of sneakers every once in a while at them. And life is okay. It's pretty good. Uh, girls, uh, complex, uh, words mean things, and uh, things that are said sometimes in jest don't get uh, received that way. It's just very interesting, isn't it? So we've all been on both sides of that. We've also been on both sides of uh, passivity. Um, when someone should have said something to us, you mean somebody could have warned me about all this pain and misery? that I brought on myself. They knew better and they didn't tell me. That's not very kind. 
And we've also been on the other side where we probably felt led, even God directed, and we still found a way to not speak the truth when it needed to be spoken, and we felt bad about that too because then someone uh, had a painful experience as a result. So this is tricky stuff, but it is powerful stuff. And so let me, let me start out today by uh, giving an introduction, in case I haven't already, to the people who might be listening later on. This is a session, of course, on confrontation. My name is John Wooten, and if you'd like to reach me uh, afterward, uh, let me feel free to give you the name of uh, Randy Davis. You can email him at, uh, you can email me at John, J-O-H-N, at Southern Baptist, I have to give it to you. Okay, John at OhioMinistry.net. John at OhioMinistry.net. I would love to, to help or channel you to somebody who can help, and that would be a, a privilege of mine. All right, so with those uh, preliminaries out of the way, let me talk about the beauty of problems, regardless if it's confrontation or some other type of unpleasant uh, thing that comes up in church, especially in your ministry. There are other applications as well to this, but we'll focus primarily on ministry in church. Problem situations are, first of all, pathways to move the kingdom forward. All right? So if you are predisposed to hear the word problem and think, oh, no, oh, no, uh, you might want to pause, especially if you're in church leadership, and realize that problems are often the pathways to move the kingdom forward. God knows how this whole thing works. He created us the way we are as individual human beings and as a church and all of that. And so he knows that problems are going to be many times the only reason why you do move forward, right? Yeah. It's because you're tired of going around in circles. You're tired of hitting, hitting the ceiling, whatever it might be. And finally, you say to yourself, you know what? I don't think I like this. And so I'm going to move forward and it might take some change. And you've heard that phrase, you know, when the pain right? The pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. That's usually people are ready to say, okay, I'm ready to move on. Let's do this thing. We're just wired that way. It's part of our sin nature. So we need to understand that although the problems are there, the solutions are often God-ordained. And they're, they're put there because God wants to move you forward. And so sometimes that person in your life, that obstacle that's come, is God's way of allowing you to move forward. That's, that's the Bible from beginning to end. It's one problem after another. And how did God help people move to the next level in him? Acts chapter 15 is a great story. In, in the gospel moving forward, there was a problem with, with the elders of the church. They, had, they were arguing over circumcision. That was a great problem for them to, to settle. There was a problem between Paul and Barnabas. That chapter is full of problems, but as a result of settling them, some happened in that chapter, some happened several chapters later on, the gospel moved forward because the problems were there. Secondly, problem situations are often open doors for overdue conversations. Life has a way, doesn't it, of giving you the opportunity, even though you should have taken it this time, this time, this time, when the problem finally gets to a head, uh, there's a little bit of crisis involved, typically, we don't like that, but at least it gets us to have a conversation that we should have had maybe weeks, months, years ago. Uh, young leaders, let me tell you this. Problems are currency for your leadership. Okay? If you're a young leader and you're looking to take that next level, you're wondering, is anybody ever going to notice I'm right here? I'd like to be used. I, I could help in the leadership of this church. Man, you find a problem and find the problem that no one else wants to fix. Find the problem that no one else has given attention to and, and volunteer to solve that problem, that problem. And after time, you will establish a reputation in your culture. Hey, they are a problem solver. She is a make it happen kind of person. So problems, if you're looking for leadership, problems is, is the golden manna, it's currency. Because if you can show that you are a problem solver, even when no one has asked you, now get right permissions, right? There's a, there's a big caveat to everything I'm saying today. Make sure it's within the approved structure of your ministry or church. Problems are currency for your leadership. Six months from now, that problem comes up again. Oh, that's right, he, he, what, he nailed it last time. Let's get him to do this. We can probably give him even more responsibility this time around. And problem situations are life-saving opportunities. That's who they are. They're life-saving opportunities. James 5, 19, 20 says, 
you can save a soul from death, literally. You can save a soul from death because of these complex and problems. Uh, you have the ability to do that, step into the situation. So problems are really opportunities in disguise. Okay? Ephesians 4.15 uh, gives us kind of the premise for this whole uh, session today. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So here's your first opportunity in class today to confront somebody. Would you turn to your neighbor and with the most grace you know how to say, would you say, would you grow up? Would you say that to them? Would you just grow up? For some of you, that was worth the whole trip, wasn't it? Just to come and be able to say that. How do we do that? We speak the truth and we do it in love. Speak the truth and do it in love and you will grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. Truth and love. That is the essence of confrontation. God's truth and God's love together are an unbeatable, unbeatable combination. Truth without love isn't God's truth. And love without truth isn't God's love. Man, if we can absorb that and practice that, we got it. If we think we're saying the truth, but there's no love there, that's not really true. That's not God's truth. Now, it might be factually correct, but it's not God's truth because we're going to discuss God's truth comes in the right way at the right time through the right person with the right motive. Okay? So truth is powerful. Some people, you know, you've maybe met one or two. I know they're not in this room, but in your lifetime, you maybe have met people who think that they are God's gift to the planet to go around and correct people, to point out mistakes. All right? You've met some of those folks. I know. All right. What are some rules for pointing out the truth. We're going, to, we're going to study some scriptures, but just as a practical standpoint. All right? If you, if you feel like you might be inclined, or if somebody beside you just went, <clears throat> when I said that a few moments ago, all right? What are, some, what are some questions to ask that would help you gauge whether or not the truth that you're thinking about uttering needs to be uttered in that moment to that person? Right? Well, number one, are they bound to repeat this mistake again. Are they bound to repeat this mistake again? So uh, very often what I notice is if, if somebody is repeating the thing, all right, over and over and over again, well, that might be a clue that it's time, if you haven't already, to say something for their own sake. You don't want them to embarrass themselves. You don't want them to uh, go through pain, all right? So again, I know sitting there, your, your filter is going, okay, this is, you're thinking about church situations. Some of you have relatives right now. They're not serving the Lord, and you just, man, you'd love to confront them. You've even tried. Oh, it's so frustrating. This, this is about the person that you're serving under. That's a whole nuance to it. You're trying to correct somebody who's actually your supervisor. That's fun, right? So, number one, is it, is it, is it repeating itself? Is there a likelihood? It's a once-in-a-while thing, you know. Then, again, unless it's, it's, it's committed murder or going to hurt somebody irreparably and they don't know it, if it's a one-time thing, then certainly we need to exercise grace and love and just let that go. Because, the golden rule, right? We would not want someone to keep correcting us, especially if it was something really simple and we weren't likely to repeat it. But I tell my staff all the time, I mean, I will, I will hunt you down. If I get to the restroom and see in the mirror I've got this big hunk of lettuce come out of my teeth or, or my zipper is down or whatever, tell me, tell me, grab me and say, you've got to do something about this now. I want to know, so that's kind of a good measure for you, is what would you appreciate people doing? If you think, if I was in that situation, I would want somebody to tell me so I don't keep making that same mistake. All right? Secondly is how, how grave is it? How grave is it? Um, again, we're not talking necessarily about outright sin, but if it's just a mistake, if it's a, something that's annoying, and you know, God gives us all a measure of grace, and thank, thank God that love covers a multitude of sins. So if it's not life or death, if, if uh, they, they even would do this one, one or two more times, it's not going to really hurt anybody, that's a good rule of thumb to apply. Again, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about just uh, behaviors in general that might be either um, less skillful or, skillful or um, annoying or something like that. All right? Speaking the truth, but then there's the other side. 
that love without truth isn't God's love. And in my humble uh, estimation, this is where the Church of Jesus Christ is, is really uh, hemorrhaging at this point. And that is we have become so aware of all the sensitivities, so aware of the labels, that too many of us, and myself included, have, have had that voice in our heads say, well, I want to be loving. I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want them to think I'm a cruel person or an unloving person. And so, for whatever reason, uh, I'm not going to step up to the plate at this point and, and bring out uh, this information. I'm not going to confront. Right? I, I want to love them. And of course, we all know that uh, if, if God were to withhold the truth from us because he didn't want to hurt our feelings, we'd all be up a creek. But thank God he cared enough to love us enough to confront us and tell us about our sin, but also about the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. So truth without love isn't God's truth, and love without truth isn't God's love. Let's ask you two questions. Why is it that we have such a hard time balancing God's truth and God's love? Because uh, usually we're, we tend to be one or the other. Our DNA will either lean us towards the grace side and oh, let somebody else, this isn't the right time. Or we'll lean to the truth side, and we have a hard time filtering things and just let people know all the time uh, what we're thinking and, and how they're making mistakes. Well, the first one is a big one. It's fear. Okay, We have a fear uh, for a number of reasons. We have fear of speaking the truth because of rejection, number one. We don't want to be rejected. We saw what happened the last time she was confronted with the truth. That did not go well. I do not want to be that person in her life. No, thank you. I don't need that. I don't want to be rejected, right? Uh, we saw the, number two, the overreaction. We have a fear of the overreaction. I just want to tell them about this, but I know their history. I know uh, what goes on when people are confronted, and boy, they're going to make this a big deal, and I'm going to regret ever opening my mouth. Offense. We literally do not want to offend people, and that's a good thing. We know from Scripture we, we are going to offend people because of the gospel, but it's another thing just to offend people because we weren't sensitive, we weren't thoughtful enough, didn't walk through it. And we, and we should not want to offend people, but there's a point when that worry and that concern uh, causes a greater offense, that we let people continue to walk on uh, in, in error or in lack of the truth. A fear of being misunderstood. You've had that happen. I thought I said this. I thought he heard this. But now that it's gotten back to me, apparently I was not understood correctly. Um, and part of that is the truth that sometimes our words do not get conveyed the way we intend. And part of that is just simply the nature of the person who's hurt when they are confronted. Uh, it's hard for them to want to process it the right way and they're going to look for an opportunity to be a victim. And so you may not have been misunderstood as much as you have been misquoted. But regardless, uh, that feeling is there. Is there. There's also a fear of hard work, laziness, confronting and doing it well at the right time with the right motives uh, takes a lot of work and preparation. And, and then the aftermath, it's one thing just to get, get to the right point in time to have a conversation. But then there's the fallout, and you got to manage all of that and help the person get to the right place, all right? So all these fears, and then there's a fear of labels. Well, they'll call me a hypocrite. They'll say I'm a fraud. I mean, who, after all, who am I? Everybody knows my history. Who am I to be the one to bring confrontation at this point because of all the things that I've done? You're not perfect. All those labels, they get thrown at us. And then there's the fear, the other fear of showing love. First was the fear of truth because of all those reasons. This is a fear of showing love. We have a fear sometimes of showing love, first of all, because uh, we might use the word grace in this case. You've heard this before. Well, that's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope. If I, if I uh, show love at this point and I, I allow them to continue to, to uh, be in, in relationship here in the church or I allow them to continue to to be that volunteer, whoever it might be, uh, my grace might get misinterpreted. And if, if we don't confront this, then boy, everything else is gonna slip through. And that's well justified because in this uh, society of ours, like all societies, it's true. 
once you do open the door to one thing, it seems to open the door to another thing, another thing, and we all disagree, I'm sure, about uh, how quick that slope uh, descends and how broad, but it's true. And so you're right to have that concern that once you open the door to this or approve this or don't confront this, you might be sending the wrong message. You could get misinterpreted, uh, but that's not a reason to not show love. Another fear of uh, showing love and grace is our own insecurities. I need to feel important by correcting others. And so if I just let this pass and don't do what I normally do and step up and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you really missed it on this one, then that, that speaks to my insecurities because I'm that person around here. I correct people. Uh, people look to me for the answers. If I don't step up, then people might not think as highly of me. I'm going to ask a few more questions, but first, uh, just to help you understand uh, your neighbors in the room. We mentioned earlier the various roles and volunteers and positions that you hold. Um, and so this, this thought of confrontation has a gazillion uh, applications in a room like this. Some of you are hearing this today and you're thinking about your role as a board member, as a leader, as a pastor. And this might mean for you discipline. This might be challenging somebody's uh, lifestyle, their choices, their behaviors when they have pledge to live a Christian life, and you've got to confront somebody like that because of your leadership position. For some of you, this might be a family member. This might be a child or another close loved one. You're thinking about all this today through, through that lens. I mentioned earlier, it might be an overseer, a supervisor, which presents a whole different set of challenges. So I want to put you at ease. Some of you are thinking about confronting a non-believer in this context. And some of you are thinking about confronting people in your church or ministry setting. And so you're all viewing this through different lenses. I'm trying to be as broad as I can today with some general applications. But I don't want to be so broad that I don't speak to the issue that you particularly have. So give me a few scenarios real quick. What are some questions you might have that might be a broad application? If you want to talk to your dentist about your HMO and last month's billing, that's not a broad application. All right? We're talking about something that might be of general use to family situations, to church situations. Uh, any questions that you're hoping we'll cover here in the next few minutes before we walk out the door? Just throw some out there just for fun of it. Unless the person is in the room. All right, yes. sake of the recording, the question is, a leader of a team needs to confront some of the members of the team, regardless of what it might be, uh, uh, and probably not sin issues about how they're living a double life. It's about getting your work done, getting done on time, having the right attitude, following through on commitments that you made. Okay? That's a great broad application. Thank you. We'll try to get to that. What's another broad scenario you think of? Yes, sir. A student that uh, is left out of school and is not getting the job and is kind of living off mom and dad right now, uh, challenging them to take more responsibility like have a plan for their future. Confronting somebody about uh, laziness and lack of direction, it's more than just the rough circumstances. Patience has been extended. It's now time to kind of get it in gear, get moving. All right, great. Yes, sir. And then back there. Great question. Okay. Someone who claims to be a believer, it might be a family member, a friend, a coworker, um, and you're not trying to pry, but it's so obvious that what they're doing, that's what we're talking about here, so obvious that the choices they're making are, are not anywhere consistent with what would be expected of a book of child of God. How do you confront them about that? All right. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, great one. Great one. Okay, say that one more time. It's somebody who's in, in leadership over you, and they really need to be prodded to confront. Uh, and how are they doing it instead? Okay. <laughs> so that is every pastor's uh, struggle, okay? This is pastor's sweet spot. All right? Rather than talking to 
uh, 65-year-old Bill, who has been at the church for 50 years, and because of all the people Bill is related to, would it be possible that you all could get it and understand, without me naming Bill, that I'm going to say this, but I really mean him, but if you would all get it, and especially if you'd help me and tell Bill, hey, he's talking about you, that I could be spared from the unpleasantness of having to have said his name in the microphone. Why is that so hard for us? I don't know why people don't get that. All right? Okay. So you've been there. I would say, if, let's, uh, let's expand that. If you're on a team and you've got a boss or a leader, it is, it is frustrating to be working hard and doing what you're doing, and a coworker is not uh, pulling their weight, right? And they really need to be confronted, and all your boss ever does is give broad, sweeping statements, hoping that they'll get it, as opposed to just stepping up and doing what is in that person's responsibility to confront them. Good. Yes, sir. So you've already tried when you quit? Okay. So you've already tried confronting. When do you stop? When do you say, I've, I've done what, I've got, what God wants me to do and I need to move on? Did you have one minute? Yes. Good. Good. Confronting a, an unsaved family member, a close friend who's about to make a very destructive decision. Okay, good. So we'll try to get some of these here before uh, the class session is over today. All right, here are six questions, you've never heard these before, that can help you balance the truth and love. This is a confrontation checklist. All right, how many syllables are in the average name? On the count of three, would you say your first, middle, and last name? All right, one, two, three. Okay, excellent. Heard that? Um, here are six syllables. These sound like a lot. These are just six syllables that you can probably get into your mind real quick, uh, and you can say them as fast as you can say your name. All right? These six questions. You've never heard them before. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Who, what, when, where, why, how? All right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? How do we balance truth and love? We ask those six questions before we open our mouths. All right. First of all, who? What is my relationship like with this person? Who am I about to confront? Uh, based on what I know, am I the right person? I very well may be the right person to confront this person. But maybe I'm not. I'm about to open my mouth, but you know what? It was hearsay, and so-and-so came to me, and she is a Christian, and she's telling me about it, and now she wants me to go talk. That's not right. That's going to be confusing. I'm not the right person. What I need to do is go back to her and say, look, I appreciate that. I'm sorry that you're upset, but it would be confusing at this point if I were to get involved. You need to go directly to that person. How many of you have ever been caught in that triangle? <laughs> Everybody, right? And sometimes, yeah, we can do it better. Uh, sometimes, yeah, we are motivated to talk to that person, but that's not scriptural. Okay? There's so many questions to ask. Are you the right person? Am I the right person? If you're the, if you're the mom, if you're the dad, if you're the pastor, if you're the leader, many times you are the right person. But that's good to ask that. Secondly, what? What? Do I have all the facts? This is, this is the issue. The first one is the, is the people involved, now the facts. Have I considered their history? Have I considered uh, how I might be perceived by, what are the facts right now associated with the situation, I better not go in there with an accusation. And we've all been there, and we found out that we didn't have all the story. What are some Bible verses that would help us to have our facts straight before we would dare to confront somebody? What are some encouragements from Scripture? I can think of two or three. What's that say? Exactly. Matthew 18, right? Go yourself first. It doesn't work for somebody else. How about before you even go to that person? Can you think of anything? Two or three? Yes, witnesses. Okay, especially if it's, it's about a leader, if it's a godly person, and you're hearing an accusation. Man, I do that all the time. We get calls at our office. We try not to publish our number, and people find it. 
And so we will not, you know, I don't mind if you socialize this information, we will not respond to anonymous phone calls. All right, we get them, we got one this week. All right, people leave voicemails. And, uh, but they don't leave their name. They leave the name of the people they want us to confront, but they don't leave their name. And so we just don't do that. Um, we can't do that. But if we do get uh, several calls from people who are members or uh, part of that party and, and they leave us their names, then we will respond. And again, we don't necessarily believe that it's all true or that we have all the information, but that's at least enough to start. And what a great piece of biblical wisdom that is. If we would wait until we've got two or three witnesses, credible witnesses, before we launched in, that would spare us so much, so much uh, pain and confusion. Do I have all the facts? Thirdly, when? Is this God's timing? What do I know about their life that would lead me to believe that this might be an okay time to tell them versus this would be the worst time in the world to tell them? I mean, have you ever had that before where people come up to you and you are whatever you're doing, you are busy, uh, remodeling and painting the house, you've got a hand on this brush and a hand with a bucket and you're up a ladder and somebody says, hey, would you mind? What are you thinking? Or you're at church and, and pastors get this. Church is about to start. Can I just give you an inside secret? Pastors hate those 15 minutes right before church. They try to figure out how can I get from my office to the platform because it's uncanny how many questions are going to come to them that really don't have anything to do with what's about to happen and uh, a pastor is, is, has mind is spinning because he or she's got a million things to talk about. When? When is God's time? Here's what I do, I try to do in our office, all right, uh, with our team. A big event like this, okay, to me, uh, tonight and tomorrow is not the time that anybody who's been working hard at this event wants to hear about criticisms or concerns. So am I making mental notes? I sure am, of all the things that, hey, next time we do this, right? And I'm responsible for a lot of them, but I, I'm making notes, okay? And so whatever it might be, I will, a lot of what we do is yearly, it's cyclical. And so in my mind, about four or five months from now is the right time. Some of you cannot believe that I actually uh, do this, but that's what I do. I wait four or five months down the road, so we're getting ready for the next one, and then I say, hey, next year, you know what would be really cool? And this is assuming that there's not a crisis going on, not an emergency. Why don't we do this and this and this and this so that it comes off at the time, hey, there's time to do something about that. At critique this afternoon, or critique when I show up on Monday, uh, how's that gonna feel for somebody who's just been working weeks and weeks and weeks to prepare for this? Uh, you know, they might remember it, but it'll be painful. Uh, what you wanna feel personally is after you've invested a lot of energy into something at your church, in your family, you want to feel appreciated. That's just human nature, right? So try to apply that same rule uh, when you're confronting and critiquing. It needs to happen. It's just the right timing, all right? When that when that single mother uh, who's made some poor choices uh, shows up at your door because this week she lost the last job and the last hope she had and has no babysitter, that probably isn't the time to critique her about her lifestyle, right? She's trying to keep her head above water. If you can help her a little bit, give her uh, some, some license and some leeway, then maybe down a couple months down the road, if there's still a major issue, then you can talk about it. Timing is everything. And haven't you found that the Holy Spirit in your life is so gracious and knows, and man, God is so patient. He waits and waits and waits, and, and that's exactly how we be, again, pending the absence of some life or death crisis. All right? Sometimes the timing is right now. <laughs> Sometimes, like you just said a few moments ago, it's stop. I, I don't know how to say this. I don't have all the right ways to explain it. Uh, I haven't thought about all the, the nice, sensitive things I could say lead up to. I just know you're about to enter a world of pain. And so I've got to tell you right now, stop. Can you please just give a time out? Sometimes the time is right now. It absolutely is. All right, where? Uh, is this a private situation or is this a public situation? Right. And Randy, could you come on up here and uh, get ready to help me here as I conclude these questions? Is this a private situation or a public situation? All right. Uh, I would appreciate if it's, if it's not that major and if it can wait, I'd appreciate somebody telling me in private versus uh, reaming me out in front of everybody else. That, that just ruins it. Okay. Where? Sometimes you should confront somebody in a public situation because the offense has been public. 
that has uh, happened in numerous occasions. And, and again, you have to be contrite and, and do all of that, but sometimes you have to do it publicly. All right, why? What are the motives of my heart? Am I doing this because it's a power trip? Am I doing this because I'm just so mad at him? I don't care if it's the right time. I, he, just, he just needs it. Somebody's got to do this. Okay, what are the motives of our heart? And then how? Um, I, I mentioned this earlier. Do you have, uh, hopefully you do, uh, but do you have uh, a, an authority structure, a covering at your church, in your ministry, in your home? Do you have policies and procedures for this? Please confront in a way that is consistent and not frustrating to the established authorities in your structure. All right? This is, does not mean you need to get board approval anytime you want to talk to a friend and encourage them. No, we need to be all about that. But at the same time, if you're doing something that really belongs to the board or belongs to the director of your department, you can cause more harm than good by, by going about it in a way that's contrary to the setup at your church. Now, I bring Randy up here uh, because I want to encourage you. He's going to be the first to say that he is not perfect at who, when, when, where, why, and how, right? So we don't need to spend any time on that, all right? But uh, I want Randy to share with you because a lot of you uh, need to know the story of First Assembly in Lima, all right? And uh, what a great thing has happened there. Yes, they have a building that's, that's an easy label to say, look at the health and the growth, and it is a pretty spectacular location right on the interstate, it's awesome. Uh, but far more important than the building, the procedures, and all of those facilities is the people, okay? And what you would see at First Assembly in Lima today is entirely different than what you would have seen five years ago and what you would have seen 10 years ago, okay? This is not, by any means, an overnight success story. I want to really set this up properly. What you're about to hear in just a few seconds is a capsule of what took years and years and years of patience, of making mistakes, uh, sticking your foot in your mouth, but finally, uh, with the right, well, that's not a very good introduction, sorry, Randy. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying all things you would say. It's all true. All right, it's all true. But it was the right moment, pulling, pulling the lever on some really difficult conversations and having, having to have some confrontations, having to do some things that we're going to talk about in the next session uh, about killing some things uh, because what really needs to happen is moving forward for what God's calling us to do right now. So Randy, uh, give us some labels. What are some names of ministries or activities that a lot of people in this room would recognize, even though they don't go to your church, that you had to, you had to take on having conversations about things that were very valuable and very cherished by a lot of people, but it had to be confronted. I'm not sure what all you're asking except to say we were at a place in our church. I went through church life with uh, Brother Musgrave, and one of the greatest things I learned through that process, they gave us a grid of ministries, and they said when you're a church of 150, you should offer this amount of ministries. When you're a church of up to 250, you should offer these extra ministries. When you're a church of 500, these many. And then when you're a mega church of 800 or more, you should offer all this broad variety. I looked at that sheet, and I said, what's wrong with that? We're trying to do mega church ministries in this small church. But they were all sacred, and somebody loved it. And I knew we had to trim back what we were doing to get better at our overall goal. And when I looked at this very traditional, very grounded, very foundational assembly of God church, very traditional, and I realized we had to trim back how we were serving to expand our ministries. I knew I was in very difficult land. And uh, it's what many of you confront the church here. We had too many ministries and not enough support, is the bottom line. And our role rangers, we had like three workers and three kids. Great ratio if you're in a private school. Um, we had like 20 girls. You know, I, I said when these kids all get to be teenagers, we're going to have an influx of boy visitors. We got two girls and all their boyfriends are showing up. And, and all the guys, they are mad because they had to pick up the litter forever. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, but we were going through this process, and I started praying, God, I know we've got to shut some things down. How do we do it? So I brought my board in the sanctuary, and I gave them this scripture. It's in Leviticus chapter 25. And I would encourage you, uh, if you've got to change the ministry, it's a great way to look at it. It says, for six years, sow your fields, and for six years, bring your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. 
a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The Lord is to have a year of rest. I sent my board. I said, read it. And I, I gave him the whole, there's a little more to it. I said, read that. And I want you to come back and tell me what God's saying. Well, how many of you know not one of them got one thing that God had told me about that scripture? <laughs> one guy said, well, we need to set up a food pantry. I'm like, how do you get a food pantry out there? Another guy said, we need to help the homeless more. We need more missions. And I'm like, you guys are clueless. I mean, I was like frustrated. sitting in the front of the I mean, I even made them go to the sanctuary because it was going to be spiritual. Well, obviously, they weren't picking up what I was laying on. I finally said, guys, we're in our 70, 77th year of church ministry. When is the last time we shut anything down and gave it a rest? And it was as silent as it is right now. 77 years we've planted, we've harvested. Have we ever let anything just lie? One piped up at me, you can't do that. Why? Jesus said, plant six years, take a year off, and relax. I said, what would happen at Lima First Assembly if we cut down everything but bare minimum ministry? Just make Sunday happen. And we got really good at making Sunday happen. I wonder what God would do with that. Well, I can tell you four years later, they're all very excited that we took a year off. Now, when we shut down Sunday school, you could write Ichabod on my forehead and kick me out of the center of the yard. <laughs> True story. He got calls, I'm sure. And they weren't anonymous. <laughs> they ain't anonymous. I had a lady tell me, this, this is a typical Assembly of God church. A lady said in a meeting where we had a lot of the leaders, about 40 of them sitting in the room, and I, I got some of my folks here, so I got to be very careful. But she said, classic, this is Assembly of God church, right? She said, now I know I don't go to Sunday school, but we have to have Sunday school. <laughs> and I thought, how clueless are you? You don't even believe in it, but I've got to have it. Because you said we have to have it. So we did. We shut everything down. And, and honestly, we're at a place now because we do have a new building. And we weren't able to build all that space that we used to have, that wasted rooms. And uh, so we can't put back some of the stuff. God's been very helpful that we've allowed some of it just to lie. And I think they're just now, four years later, realizing they ain't coming back. So um, prayerfully go to God before you do something like that. I, you know, I tell people what we did, and they go, I'm going home and shutting down everything. You're an idiot. <laughs> this took a long process from inception of prayer and wisdom and walking our folks through. It took time. But I'm telling you, that first year we shut it down, we've seen almost a 50% growth in our church overall. First year. We, we grew. You mean you can shut ministries down and actually grow? All I can say is we did. It worked for us. But if God don't tell you to do that, don't tell him I told you to do it. Do not blame it on me. I just know we were doing too much ministry without enough manpower. We had to trim our ways back. We confronted the issue. We prayerfully considered it. And we walked slowly. But when we shut it down, we took some hits. We lost a couple of people. Good riddance. God bless you. Don't let the Lord door hit you where the good Lord split you. That's what I said, for real. And some of y'all catch up later. Uh, so be careful how you do this. Prayerfully consider it. But if you've got things going on that shouldn't be happening and it's not working, you got to confront it. That's all I can say. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and Randy would, wouldn't want to say this uh, in the microphone per se, but uh, we're talking about a situation where uh, you went there how many years ago? 11 years, in 11 years ago, and uh, while I was there, uh, sometimes vis visiting and preaching during the interim, never 100 people, never 100 people. There might have been 100 people on the books, but uh, that's about the size of the church, a great church, okay? a long history of doing some awesome things. Our, our present world mission is directed, Greg Mundus, on staff at this church. This is a great church, but this is just the way it was 11 years ago. And, uh, and now they have already been over 700 three times this year, regularly, regularly, over 500, 600. And so it's, it's really uh, incredible what's happening. But when he called and told me that he shut all those things down and had to have those confrontations with people who'd been there for years, I said, you what? But uh, it, was, it was the right thing. And uh, there's so much more that can be shared with that. But just to encourage you about how big the scale is, maybe you're just... Talking about one person today, thinking about that, or it could be a whole church structure. 
the problem is currency for your leadership. And let me tell you right now, if you're somebody who's got currency, not just at First Assembly, but in Allen County, Ohio, it's that man that was just here. Problems bring currency. So a couple of the questions you asked. Um, the loved one who is, is not serving the Lord, we are going to answer that in the next session in a big way. This next session, uh, you're going to be talking about this uh, for months to come. Uh, really cool story. Uh, we're going to have a special guest in the final session. All right. Let me talk now about some uh, procedures. And uh, Donna Barrett, if I could, you're hiding back there, and I, I think I didn't see you. Is that you? Would you feel comfortable to uh, prepare in a few moments to give a nutshell of a resource people can tap into called Peacemakers? Would you be willing to do that? Okay, great. Thank you. Here are some procedures for correction. All right? Get ready to uh, bring correction to that person's life. First of all, be as private as the wrong. This is exactly what our sister referred to earlier with Matthew chapter 18. All right? If it's a private matter, don't correct the person in front of others. Don't take someone with uh, do take don't take someone with you at first, especially if it's a personal matter. That just kind of sets things off on the wrong foot. Scripture is so wise there. Okay. Secondly, be cautious and wise. Be cautious and wise. Paul tells Timothy to deal with younger women as sisters in all purity. Okay. Depending on who you're dealing with, you'll be very careful. If you're dealing with somebody who's caught in sin, this addresses another issue. You've got to be careful that you yourself do not get caught in that same sin. All right? Be direct and be open. So let's talk about this issue of working with people. We heard that question a few moments ago. How do I help people who are on the same team with me, especially in the church, um, when they're not fulfilling their commitments? Why, why is working with church problems, in all fairness, why does it have extra pressure because the context is the church? Just let it out. All right? Put it on your chest. Why is it so frustrating sometimes when it's people in the church, Christians, who are the ones who need to be confronted? Shouldn't they be motivated? This is not some other kind of cookie sale, right? This is about changing lives for eternity. Come on, people. We shouldn't even have to have this conversation. Come on, right? What else? church roles the same as as though getting paid for something means it has in some ways more value than what you're doing for the Lord which of course none of us would say is true but our lives can show that right? That can be frustrating. What else? Yes, thank you. Yeah, right, they, they, they know where the door is, right? So it's not like they are being paid and they have to have a contractual obligation. You have to walk the fine line and there's not only the door of your church, but there's the door of your particular department. They could go serve down in another department where they have a lot better uh, pizza parties than your department, right? So, uh, yes. Double standards when you're living with people in the church. Okay? Yes, sir. A lot of times the area you're working in, you're very passionate about, so you just have to take passion to the same area, and it might not be something else. Very good. Different levels of passion. Sometimes we have to check ourselves, right? Because um, maybe it's, it's justified that that person doesn't have the same uh, level of passion we do. Anyone else? How about, like, you know, keeping your word? Right? If people don't follow through on something they pledge to do, and it's not just one time, but over and over and over again, and then you start to get into the Christian mindset, like, you know, well, that's just not falling, only falling through on the obligations. That's not being very Christian. Right? How many people appreciate it when you start the conversation out by that, saying, that's not very Christian, right? So it could be a very uh, touchy water. Is there another one over here? Anyone else? All right. Yes, in the back.
Okay. Their own worldview can come into play, how open-minded they are, all right? Be direct and be open, and, and you know, whenever it's possible, okay, again, without coming in like a bull in a china shop, try not to beat around the bush. Uh, it just complicates things when you go around the person's back and talk about the problem, all right? That often is disguised as what? Huh? But it's disguised as? Prayer requests, right? right we're, good. we're good at that. Right? Would you pray with me about this numbskull I'm trying to work with? Yeah, right. Okay, be direct and be open. That's what we'd appreciate. Uh, inevitably, and you need to know, I mean, anybody who works with me, anybody who knows me, is laughing at the concept that I am teaching this class. Okay, I can tell you that. Um, I, I am really hesitant to have face-to-face, -face, confronted conversations. And so you are hearing from somebody who, who errs on that side. Uh, but I, I feel the same way. If I know that somebody has a beef, if they have a problem, I really would just like them to go ahead and say I hope they'll be as tactful as they can, but I don't want them to, to think they have to delay or can't find the right time to talk to me. And that's how we, we ought to be with each other. Now, inevitably, here's what happens. I will try. I will put something on my calendar, and I'll say, okay, I'm going to have that conversation at that time. And it's true. It is beyond that deadline. It's after this. It's after this. It's after this. And so I think, okay, now I've waited. And you know what? I've done that time enough to, uh, to know that even when I still do it, it's going to be the wrong time because uh, something else I didn't know. So, so timing is really a, uh, a loose thing. If we're looking at it from our time, it's probably never going to be the easy or the right time. So the most important question is what's God's time? Regardless of how uncomfortable it makes me, regardless of the reaction, if, if I'm going to do what God wants me to do for this person's life and have a conversation now, that is the right time. Number four, be humble and not judgmental, right? Because we are all fellow sinners. That's one of the fears. Man, I, if I have this conversation now, if I confront them, who's to say a week from now or a month from now, I won't be the one needing to be confronted? And the answer is you will be. And the next answer is, and it's okay, all right? That's what the church is. We are a bunch of imperfect Christ followers who need to be mutually loving, mutually truth-telling, and when necessary, mutually confronting. So I will confront you today, but a month from now, you'll probably need to confront me. And so that really helps. You know, sometimes we call it the bun, right? The whole sandwich. The meat is there, right? I have to write a lot of letters that I'd rather not write, but I always start them out with some nice paragraph first. Oh, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Isn't it nice to see the sun out? Springtime, no, 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 no. Okay, you stay. All right, so whatever. You have to get to that beat. But it doesn't hurt to throw in the bun and then finish it out with the bottom bun. And I really hope you have a nice day, all right? Call me, because we're friends, okay? Some people see through that, but it's still a nice thing to do as opposed to just laying uh, it out there. All right? Be humble and not judgmental because we're all sinners. Number five, be gentle but be firm. 1 Timothy 5.1 says, do not sharply rebuke. Okay? It doesn't say don't rebuke. It just don't do it sharply. Think about it. There's a way to do it. And, and tough conversations are part of the game. But anything we can do. See, remember the who, what, what, why, the how? That's the frustrating part of reality in confrontation and in human relationships. You can do your homework. I want to I set you up not to be discouraged. You can do your homework and you can have the who and the what and the when and the why nailed. You have it down. You, you do have the right person. Your facts are there. Why? Your motive. It, it's in the purest place. But we mess up the how. Alright? Wasn't intentional, but the way we did it was kind of off. Well, the whole message can get lost. And this is good, by the way, for both positive and negative communications. So it's not to, it's meant to discourage us that we'll never get it perfect. It is meant to explain that all of those components are so vital to the message, positive or negative, getting through. And so it really does help us before we say those things to say, this is the right time to do it. Okay? Who, what, when, where? Oh, not right now. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till tomorrow. Do, go through those, and you'll find that as you start to say those and practice those, 
uh, with the backdrop of God's grace and God's word, you'll become very quick. And as quick as you can say your name, you can run through those questions. And man, it can really help the message get through and get to the desired result. Be gentle, uh, but also be firm. Two more points here, and I'm going to have Don come up. First of all, or number six, be able to point the person to God's word. All right, that is the basis of all these conversations. That's the basis of the how, the why, the who. God's word. Uh, it, it, you know, we we are misapplying scripture if we if we think that Christians are not to judge. You better judge, right? When you pull out the parking lot, you better make a judgment about the stoplight. Okay, you better judge all the time. The issue is not whether or not you should use judgment. The issue is whether or not you're hypocritical in, in having a judging attitude with the person. But the world would like to twist that to make you afraid or make you uh, expect that you're going to become labeled as a hater if you use any type of, dis- of judgment to talk to someone about their life. And we've got to get over that. We've got to get over that. Point in God's word is the basis for that. And finally, be persistent if necessary. This was the question asked earlier. How do we know when to stop? All right? One time may not be enough, but very often in Scripture. I mean, think about Peter. How many times uh, did he deny Christ before the wizard's throat? Three times, right? How many times was that sheet let down from heaven? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three times. I mean, sometimes it just takes repeating things over and over again uh, until we get to the point where we need to be. The same thing is, is true with confrontation. Uh, you know this if you have children. Okay? It doesn't always get through the first time. That's okay. However, there is the pearls before swine concept. All right? There's the pearls before swine concept. And that is if somebody, and I do think it's a pearl, you talk about a pearl of precious value. If in this day and age, think about that the next time you are confronted. If in this day and age someone has a spine big enough to risk friendships, to risk being misunderstood, all the other fears we talked about, and if they still come to you and their attitude is one of grace based on scripture, boy, even even if in the end it was off, think twice before you just automatically dismiss something like that because they did not come to that decision lightly. And that's one of the best ways to work on all those fears and misconceptions is to model how we are responding when we are confronted. If Christians could see a lot more believers uh, thanking the pastor when he stepped on their toes, thanking that board member when she brought correction, if people could see a lot more people responding in leadership positively toward confrontation, it could help turn the tide so that all these labels might go out the door. But right now, the tendency is for people to, to perceive those who step forward and speak the truth as, as being very judgmental, cruel, unkind individuals. So be persistent, but at the same time, you've got these pearls called your time and your investment. And if you, with the right attitude, with the basis of scripture, have gone to that person two and three times, four times, whatever it might be, and, and you feel like uh, they're just not going to, to accept it, this, this I don't think applies to children as much as it would apply to adults, uh, but even adult children, adult family members. Uh, there comes a point when you've said what you can say, and probably, not only is it a waste of your time to keep saying it a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time, but it probably isn't going to change the person's heart as much as giving them some space, and that's why Scripture also brings the balance out, that you actually then do protect those pearls, and you put them away, and you don't even have anything to do with the person anymore, because they're at that point. And that's why Scripture is so loving and kind. It gives the person who needs to hear the message some warning signs. These confrontations, that's awesome. I hope that gets their attention. Now they're silence because they're continuing in their lifestyle. And now they're not welcome at your house anymore. Now you're not going to linger around after church and talk to them anymore. Man, that's so hard. Oh my goodness. But that's loving because you're doing what, what God tells you to do so you can get their attention so they will wake up. We're going to hear in this final session a great story about just that. All right, John, would you come on up and help us? Uh, there are a number of great resources uh, certainly, you have local leaders who can help you, presbyters, pastors, if you need help, the Assemblies of God. Uh, there's one that involves people from the Assemblies of God and other fellowships. Don has tapped into them. I've looked into their materials, and they're a great resource. People who've thought this out and they're professionals.
Thanks, Pastor John. Ken Sandy was an attorney in the secular world, and he left that environment and created Peacemakers. It's designed for you to use at your church, and it would be suitable for any church to use. The website you can jot down is peacemaker.net. Peacemaker.net. They provide a DVD series with eight video sessions, and I, I sit through this every time our staff member teaches it, and I learn something new at a different level because it's just such a good resource. And um, our staff member who runs this is also trained as a coach. Instead of hiring an attorney or seeing a split happen, you can hire a consultant to come in and resolve conflict using biblical principles. Uh, the topics that they cover include the root cause of conflict, when to overlook an offense, what makes a good apology, happens really good, what forgiveness really means, and how to deal with difficult people. So you can take your lay people through this and the principles apply in all settings. Um, we hosted at our church a three-day coaches training that was run by the national organization. This is a worldwide organization that works on the mission field. Um, Kathy Monin, who is the coach on our staff, has been invited to come in and present this to some attorneys in Cleveland. The City of Independence had her come in and teach their uh, city workers. There's a secular version of this. Once you study the Christian version of it, it would allow you to be able to take the same biblical principles, which is a little bit different verbiage, into secular environments as well, too. So it's a great resource, and I would encourage you to check out their website and see if it might be helpful to you. Thanks, Perfect. Pastor John. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and here in a second, I want to see if there's any uh, final questions, any ones that we need to come back to, uh, to even, uh, further answer on that. Uh, let me just say that, that the enemy loves to uh, capture and destroy any souls. He is indiscriminate. Uh, I think you know this. Doesn't matter young, doesn't matter old, doesn't matter women, doesn't matter men. All right? Uh, he just wants to deceive as many as he can. Okay, let me just say as a man that uh, ladies, it would be awesome uh, for you to create and encourage a climate in your church uh, for men to step up in this area in confrontation. Because the pressure on men uh, is even greater to, uh, for, for them to be misperceived. Okay, because uh, they know that the society is quick to label men as a bully, um, as out of control, as an angry old person, all right? And so uh, I, I'm not saying that uh, we don't need to use wisdom and caution, all that kind of stuff, but please hear me say that there is pressure on men to shut up and to, to not open their mouths, all right? There are a bazillion examples of men who need to shut up and not open their mouths. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, but in the church, when you're talking about uh, men, whether husbands, fathers, uh, ministry leaders, board members, pastors, there is an extra pressure on them uh, that, that is really causing a lot of men to just zip their lip. And they're saying, no, I don't need this grief. I don't need this pressure. Look what happens when I'm in my mouth. Okay? So men and women, uh, we need to pray both, of course, but I just wanted to highlight that for you. And so men, you're in this room today. Um, we need you. We need you to step up to the plate. When another man steps up and says, uh, this is this is something that needs to happen and we can't do it anymore. Please don't join the crowd and say, well, he's just one of those angry old white men. Uh, if, if, the, if the motive is there, if scripture is there, you, you put a hand on that brother's back and say, you know, we need more of that. All right? We need women to step up as well. You have pressures as well uh, in, in your roles. Misunderstandings and confusion about your roles. I realize that as well. And men can encourage that. What we need is men and women both speaking the truth, doing it in God's love, God's truth. All right, what questions uh, can we come back to? We, we talked about confronting team members. We talked about uh, maybe somebody who needs a, a kick, a motivation. Um, you know, there's, there's tough love, I would certainly say. We, we've got to be ready to apply a godly, tough love. We're going to hear in a few moments how there was parents who had a, a single daughter who uh, applied some tough love to her and it was really tough. And there are people, whether it's whether we've confronted them over and over again, there are people in our lives, family members, church members, and there's a point where we can say it and say it and say it, but then if we continue to uh, enable them, we don't intend to intentionally 
any of them, but we do because we keep the door open. We keep letting them stay where they're at. We keep uh, following through to help them with the mistakes that they've made. That's no longer love. We've entered the area of cruelty. A great book on this matter is called Boundaries. Many of you have read it by uh, Henry Cloud, John Townsend. Awesome book. Pastors don't care for it too much because it gives people strength to say, no, I don't want to serve in this area. And that's, that's not so good. But um, <laughs> it's, it's a, how many of you read Boundaries? Okay, you gotta read it. It helps you understand, especially for someone in your life who has a loved one that, that they just, they keep falling for and they keep covering their rear ends and all that kind of stuff. It helps them understand that's the cruelest thing they could do. If they really love that person, it's time to, it's time to be tough. Any questions that you'd like to see uh, addressed before we let you go ahead over to the closing session? One more time, I'm going to say, speaking the truth, do it in love. Truth and love together. Amen. God help us. There's not one of us here who wants to be party to being misunderstood. Not one of us wants to cause more confusion than there already is. But at the same time, if this is the right time with the right motive, the right place, we've got scripture to back us up, we've got our facts straight. And there's a situation that needs handling, needs address. Would you help us to be bold enough to lead the way in showing all the grace and all the Christ-like compassion in the world, at the same time speaking the truth in a way that can be understood? It's your truth. Lord, when we're tempted to get offended, help us to not be offended. You said that we're doing it for your sake. And you said we'd be blessed if we're, if we're not offended because of, of what we're doing for you. But offenses will come. Oh God, help us with your truth. Thank you that someone cared enough to speak the truth and love to us. That's why we're here today. Help us, Lord, to return that favor, to sow the seed and see the kingdom launched uh, even further here in Ohio and around the world. We give you thanks for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.